Hello and welcome back to Spotlight on Women in Health Ventures, the podcast powered by Thea, a nonprofit dedicated to empowering women as entrepreneurs in healthcare. Today we are very excited because we get to talk to Ashley Wisdom, co-founder and CEO of Health in Her Hue, a digital platform connecting Black women and women of color to culturally sensitive healthcare providers, content, and community. Ashley is a public health innovator committed to dismantling racist systems to achieve a more equitable healthcare landscape. Prior to Health in Her Hue, Ashley worked for an advisory firm, Junto Health, as a program director for the Strategic Ventures Group. She received a BS from Howard University and an MPH in health policy at NYU. It's so great to have you on with us this morning, Ashley. We're super excited to learn more about your path to creating Health in Her Hue. I was wondering if we could start at the beginning and can you tell us a little bit more about Health in Her Hue and your mission behind creating it? Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the podcast. And I'll actually share what Health in Her Hue is and then I'll share why I started building it. Health in Her Hue is a digital health platform that is focused on connecting Black women and other women of color to culturally sensitive healthcare providers, culturally relevant health content and then community support. So right now our product, what it actually looks like, we have a searchable directory where women can search for culturally sensitive healthcare providers. We have a content library, a community forum, and then we have a program called Care Squads that provides peer support as well as evidence-based health information around specific health topics that disproportionately impact Black women and women of color. And the mission for Health Interview is really to reduce the racial health disparities that are disproportionately impacting Black women and women of color and really trying to center health equity with digital health innovation. That's amazing. How does it work? The directory has providers across 60 different specialties and not just doctors, but we have therapists, we have doulas, midwives, lactation consultants, and it's nationwide. So it's not limited to any specific geographic area. There are providers across 50 states, and anyone can go on and try to find a provider that's local to them. They're able to search by zip code as well as a number of different filtering criteria to help them find a provider that best meets their needs. When you're creating this directory, what services do you provide or hope to provide? How do you decide on what content to create? Today, because we don't offer any direct care and clinical services, we're pretty general. But once we launch our telehealth capabilities, we will have a specific focus on two reproductive health issues that disproportionately impact Black women and women of color, which are fibroids and PCOS. So we've been getting lots of requests from our members around getting support for those particular areas. And so our telehealth platform will likely go deep on those two therapeutic areas, but we plan to also have some primary care related consults as well. But with our current platform, the directory has providers across different specialties as well as care proficiencies. So we're not focused yet on any specific therapeutic area, but that is on the horizon. There's obviously been a growth of discussion and literature on racial health disparities, and the pandemic has especially highlighted how big the problem is. We can name mortality rates in the U.S. where Black women are two to three times more likely to experience pregnancy-related deaths. Can you speak more about some of these issues and how Health and Her Hue aims to tackle them? These issues are really deep and complex. So I often make the caveat that technology is not going to be the panacea for these very institutional and structural issues when it comes to healthcare. However, there is an opportunity for us to leverage technology to make access to providers who are more culturally sensitive, as well as who understand the lived experiences of Black women, more accessible. And the reason why this is important is because there's actually a statistic 
um, a report that showed that one in five black women report avoiding seeking care when they need it because of the fear of experiencing bias or discrimination. So even when black women have health insurance, there's still a barrier or this, there's this trepidation around engaging with the healthcare system because they're aware of these statistics. And so we see an opportunity to make Health Interview a safe space for women to find providers that they're more likely to trust, to communicate with, and to engage with the healthcare system in a more proactive way and preventative way, as opposed to waiting until there's a problem and they feel like, okay, now I absolutely have to go. And because of that fear, a lot of times women put off going to seek out care when they need it, which then results in later diagnosis. And that's just one example of a very specific problem or pain point that Black women have as they're navigating the healthcare system that Health and Her Hue is well positioned to address. But when we think of some of the other things with not having access to health insurance or lack of transportation, some of these social determinants of health issues, there's still a lot more work that needs to be done that our platform in and of itself is not going to be the solution to, but we are being thoughtful around what other companies in this health equity, cultural sensitivity, competency space are blocking and tackling problems that Health and Her Hue isn't focused on, but are complementary to us so that we can really have a robust solution or at least be able to provide our members to other services that can help address some of the barriers that they're experiencing as they're seeking out healthcare. That makes a lot of sense. I'm looking at all these new health startups that are created and I'm wondering how are they tackling that equity issue so I can see how you can partner with these different organizations. How do you kind of ensure culturally sensitive care and how do you ensure who's put onto your directory? million dollar question. <laughs> so it's not as black and white because there's no foolproof way of truly vetting a provider for cultural sensitivity. Like I'll just name the elephant in the room. There's no level of bias training that can then stamp someone as like, this doctor is now completely unbiased. <laughs> so the way that we're approaching this really complicated and, and nuanced issue of really vetting a provider and like which provider is best suited for a patient is one, providers have to opt in to join Health Interview. We don't do data scraping and just great profiles. We want every provider that joins Health Interview to see the mission for the mission to resonate with them and for them to decide, I want to be a part of a platform that's supporting Black women finding providers that they can trust. And I'm raising my hand and saying, I'm that type of provider, and I'm actively trying to be that type of provider to Black women and women of color. So mm -hmm. that's the first step. The second step is, for as part of our onboarding process for providers when they're signing up on the platform, they have to commit to our health equity pledge. So we have a very robust page in our platform that explains health and refuse perspective on like health equity. And then in a very succinct way, as part of our onboarding process, we kind of summarize and bullet points our perspective and view on health equity and what we're holding these providers who are joining the platform accountable to. And so they commit to that. And if they're getting negative reviews consistently from our members, we have a, a process in place where we would give the provider feedback that like, look, you're getting consistently negative reviews from our members. There's something that needs to be addressed here. And if nothing's being done, then we would then remove them from the platform. So we have some checks and balances in that regard. I always make the caveat that while Health and Hughes is trying to make it easier for women of color to find racially important providers, the onus shouldn't only be on doctors of color, providers of color to provide culturally sensitive care. So we want Health and Hughes to be a platform where doctors of any race and ethnicity or providers of any race and ethnicity can join the platform and we would provide content to them that's also CME accredited so that they'll be incentivized to engage with it. And that content will be content that's supporting them and having deeper awareness in 
the social factors and issues that are impacting women of color, some of the health conditions that disproportionately impact Black women and women of color. And so as they're engaging with this content, they will get badges on their profile that would indicate to our consumer or patient users that, okay, this doctor may be a white doctor, but they're on Health Energy, they committed to Health Energy's Health Equity Pledge, and they're engaging with content that is supporting them in being a more inclusive and sensitive healthcare provider. So I feel comfortable seeing them even though we may not share the same racial or ethnic background. So that's the way that we're kind of approaching this, trying to support all types of providers with being the quality provider that we think all providers should be for our end user. That makes a lot of sense. They're like the providers kind of opting in. They're saying they're wanting to do this. And how do you market to providers and get them on? So we had a viral moment with our very first product. And when we launched that MVP, there were only six doctors and we were, these were six doctors that we had been working closely with on content. So when initial directory went viral, we got a lot more providers who opted in and signed up. Today, what we're, what we've been doing to market to providers using traditional social media ads, actually this week, my co-founder and I were going to the National Medical Associations Conference, which is the largest physician association for Black physicians. So we're going to have a booth there and getting more Black doctors onboarded on the Health Energy platform. And so we're being really strategic on going to the spaces where providers are, doctors are, and mm-hmm. spreading the word about Health Energy, but then also leveraging ads on like Doximity, different social media platforms that we know doctors are engaged with. Mm-hmm. Have you thought of doing anything in the future related to medical education and catching people earlier on in their career? Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, so we definitely want to be a part of addressing this issue more upstream so that the pipeline of doctors that are coming in are already coming in with this like cultural sensitivity, health equity lens and perspective and really understand the structural issues that are impacting their patient's ability to navigate healthcare. One of the thoughts that my co-founder and I have been chewing on is what is the provider experience on health and review going to be? We pretty much nailed down and have our roadmap for our patient consumer user, but we do want to launch a membership for providers. And some of the things that we're thinking about are we have a community forum for our consumer users. Is there a dedicated community forum that we should have for providers who are on the platform? And are there interesting ways in which we can connect residents with more experienced doctors, doctors of color, so that they can find mentors or get their perspective on something that they may be experiencing during during residency? So we're trying to be really thoughtful on how can we engage folks even before they graduate from medical school and then right after they graduate from medical school and enter their residency. So we will have them active and engage on the platform once they're full on doctors and attendings and so on and so forth. That's great. How do you kind of measure the success or good outcomes that come from Health Interview? Right now with our peer squad offering, which is the peer support groups that are focused on different conditions and disease states. So the one that we've had in market, the longest is on mental health and wellness. So helping women manage stress, anxiety, and depression. And the curriculum was designed by a board certified physician. And the content in the curriculum features videos from a black therapist and a black psychiatrist. So the women, engage with this curriculum content for four months and they join these live virtual sessions with a health and earth facilitator and this closed network or group of other black women who are also trying to manage this particular condition. And so we do a pre and post evaluation with this program. So when women join it, we get a baseline of what's your perspective on mental health? Do you know when to engage with a therapist? Do you know the role of a psychiatrist? Have you ever engaged with therapy before? What's your willingness? So we ask those kind of questions. And then we ask those same questions at the end of the experience to see if after going through this experience with health interview for four months, if we're able to move the needle on their willingness to engage with a mental health provider, 
leverage their employers employee assistance program. And so today we've been able to show success. Our one cohort, the women shared that they would not talk about their mental health with their primary care doctor. And at the end of the four months, when we asked them the question again, that 100% of the women said that they would have a conversation with their primary care doctor about their mental health. So those are some of the outcomes that we are measuring. And then as we provide more direct clinical care services, we'll also be tracking some of those clinical outcomes as a way to kind of measure our impact. How did you transition from your career prior to this to building Health and Hue and what skills from your background do you think could apply to building this company? I was actually planning to go to medical school. I was pre-med and undergrad and then my first job was working for a federally qualified health center and that really opened my eyes to the inequities in the U.S. healthcare system. So I was writing grants and kind of assessing programs so that we can apply for more funding in that role. Then I worked for an academic medical center in New York City Again, doing research, clinical trial management, and that's kind of been my world within healthcare prior to launching Health Center Hue. And then in between my two jobs at two health systems, I started building the very beginnings of Health Center Hue, saw the traction we were getting, and decided to work for a venture studio where our clients were health system investors. So I got to learn the business side of healthcare. And I have my master's in public health. And I would say that my public health background really allows me to bring that public health education and apply it to the design of health technology, which that's not always the case with everyone who's building in health tech. Some folks are, you know, well-intentioned. They want to solve a problem, but also want to make lots of money. And they are designing products completely from that a product lens and design lens, but don't necessarily have that public health understanding. And so my experience of actually working within the healthcare system knowing what's good about the healthcare system and what's not so good. And then also understanding the structural issues and societal issues that are impacting and resulting in the health inequities that we see and bringing all of those skills and experiences and perspectives to bear in health technology, I think gives us a very unique approach in the way that we're building the company. That makes a lot of sense. I'm doing an MPH as well as the MD. And it's kind of interesting to see how a lot of these companies aren't coming from the MD side, maybe and more from like you're saying the business tech side. But if you come from the more hospital-based health world, you can see what the problems are and kind of what solutions would work and wouldn't work. So I definitely think it gives a unique advantage to tackling these issues. I know you said you had some experience in that venture studio, but what made you decide to build a digital platform? So I decided on a digital platform because while I was working within the healthcare system, I got really frustrated just seeing how insidious institutional racism can be and how precarious the U.S. healthcare system can be for Black women who both are navigating it as patients and then also navigating it as an employee. And so my frustrations kind of got me started with what can I do to address this problem that I'm actually living in and experiencing in real time? And I remember at that time, I was seeing all these different health tech companies emerging. Like I was using ZocDoc myself to find doctors. And when I was looking for a therapist, I remember wanting to find a Black therapist. And I was like, why can't I filter for a Black therapist on ZocDoc or on Psychology Today if I'm looking for a, you know, for a Black therapist? And that got my wheels turning. I'm like, there's this huge problem of health disparities. We have all this research. I'm seeing this emergence of health technology and digital platforms, but I'm not seeing anything that's solving the pain point that I'm experiencing specifically as a Black woman. Mm-hmm. And so that is what made me decide, like, okay, if there's technology being built to address some of these inefficiencies in healthcare, what can I build leveraging a digital platform 
to help black women better navigate the US healthcare system and manage their health. So that was the place that it came from. I saw a gap in the market and wanted to, to fill it. What is the business model of Health Inner You? Kind of how are you? I guess what, yeah, what is the business model of Health Inner Yeah. That's another million dollar question. So we're not actually charging anything for the directory. That is not what we're monetizing. The directory was seeing a pain point that actually existed and knowing no one's probably going to try to build this. And this is something that black women want immediately. Mm-hmm. And that is we're solving a problem and it's a hook because we know black women are always going to be trying to find trusted providers. And most times those are providers who look like them. What our business model actually is, is a, a membership subscription. So we have a free membership to Health Interview that gives you access to the directory, three pieces of content a month, whether it's video content or articles, and then access to our community forums. Our premium membership gives unlimited access to the platform. So unlimited access to our content library, our directory, community forums, and our monthly community conversation series, which are these events that are led by Black physicians. And then we have our Care Squad program where women can pay to be a part of that program for four months. So we have this direct-to-consumer subscription. So $12.99 for those who pay for the premium one or $125 for an annual membership. And then we have our Care Squads, which women are able to join and for four months and they pay $70 a month for that experience. But really our scalability is selling to employers and to health plans where they're subsidizing access to our membership on behalf of if you're a health plan for your members, if you're an employer for your women of color employees. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned a little bit in the future that you want to actually provide telehealth services on there. How do you envision that happening? So we would have one telehealth visit would be a part of your premium membership. Mm -hmm. And then also women can get an ad hoc consult. Also, if they're not a premium member, they'd be able to pay either cash pay. Ultimately, we would want to get in network with health insurance companies so that women could just get it reimbursed through their health insurance. So that's the way that we're thinking about bringing on or layering on the telehealth capability. Gotcha. How did you meet your co-founder and what are the different roles you play in the company? How do you complement each other? My co-founder, Dwina, we actually have known each other socially for a long time. We share best friends. So my best friend, Courtney from high school, she and Dwina actually met at Courtney's first post-undergrad job. And they became really close. And both me and Edwina were like, we want to know your other friend. Can you introduce us? So Edwina and I ended up meeting one another at one of our um, routine game nights, hit it off. And I knew that she had a business background. So she has an MBA from Columbia and she's been an entrepreneur in the past herself. So she would always send me grant funding. She would send me articles about health disparities. Like I read this article and I thought about you. So Heldener, he was always on her mind and she was always just giving me advice as a friend. And then in 2020, when I was planning to start raising capital for the company, I needed to build out a financial model and I have an MBH. I do not have an MBA. So I reached out to her and said, look, I kind of know how to talk VC speak because I've worked with investors, but I need to build a financial model and it's not going to be the best use of my time teaching myself this. So can you just help me get this financial model up and going? And she worked on it with me. I trusted Vina. We know each other socially. I have the healthcare background and network, and she has the business and finance background. And she was also doing product management at the role she was at previously. So I'm like, we have very complementary skills. You can do all the financial stuff and educate me along the way. I know how healthcare works. So I think that this is a happy business marriage. I asked her formally, actually asked my friend Courtney for permission to ask Edwina to be my co-founder. We've been working together ever since. And I think her birthing experiences also really connect her to the mission of our company. She had 
one birthing experience that wasn't so great, learned a lot and was able to better advocate for herself the second time around. So in addition to her brilliance, she also has a personal story that really drives home the importance and the value of the company that we're building together. That's a cute kind of way to meet your co-founder. Since you mentioned building out the business model and fundraising, can we talk a little bit more of what that process was like for you? It was definitely an iterative process. We're still in that assessing product market fit phase. So we're constantly learning things from both our direct-to-consumer users, as well as the enterprise customers and clients that we're starting to engage with now. But we've been a part of incubators and accelerator programs that have product experience or healthcare experience. And in those programs, we were very intentional about trying to solve or figure out whatever business problem was top of mind for us in that moment. The really unfortunate thing that can happen in accelerator programs is they give you a lot of content on things that aren't relevant to your business and your business's life cycle. But every program that we've been a part of, we've been able to say, hey, at this point in our business life cycle, we really need to nail down what our business model is going to look like and we need to start testing it. And so we went through this one program and we were able to get pro bono consulting services from a really fancy consulting firm. And they did the market research for us to inform how we should set up our business model. And with fundraising, that process is constantly ongoing. In 2020, when I needed to raise capital because I had been bootstrapping and then I got laid off from my job in the middle of the pandemic, it was a real come to Jesus moment, so to speak. Like I get another job and continue bootstrapping or raise capital. And the way that we've approached that is just making sure that we're talking to funds that are really aligned with the stage that our company is in. It's mm-hmm. very easy to fall into the trap of talking to funds, series B, D, and it's kind of like a waste of your time because they're not actually going to cut you a check at the stage that you're at. So towing the line between establishing relationships with funds that are later on that you're probably going to be knocking on their door in the near future, but really focusing each fundraise on finding the funds that are aligned with that particular stage and that are willing to write checks at that point in your company's life cycle. Right. How has the reception been when you explain what Health and Hue is to investors? People are receptive to it now because I think that post the pandemic, everyone is thinking about health a lot more these days and the pandemic really illuminated and exasperated, but illuminated these issues around health disparities that removed some of the education that we had to do with investors or that I was prepared to do with investors who may not know about healthcare or these issues. And so we come into these virtual rooms or meetings with investors and they already have a baseline understanding of the problem, which Mm -hmm. is half the battle. The interesting point that we're now still trying to massage is while some folks understand the problem, they're still confused around, do Black women really want something like this? Or how do you also make this a scalable and sustainable business? The other compelling thing with investors has been that we have a really engaged community base. So when we shared our traction with investors in the early days, they were surprised. Like, how the heck did you get this level of engagement without any marketing? What's the secret sauce? And I'm like, one, we're solving an actual problem. And so we built a real solid community and trust around the brands of Health Interview by creating value before asking these women to pay for anything. So in summary, investors have been receptive, but we do get some questions where people are trying to, because it's not a problem that directly impacts them. They're trying to assess, can this really be a business? And the answer is uh, emphatically yes. Now we're doing that education around, here's our business model, here's our strategy. And some investors get it and they've invested in the company and others don't. They want to see more proof points. I'm just like, I'll keep you on my updates. Stay tuned for the journey because we're going to be successful. 
to a lot of our listeners are early on in their career. Do you have any advice for someone who's wanting to build a company that targets a specific issue that the investors may not see right away or need to be educated on a bit more? I would say if you've identified a pain point, that's my biggest thing. Find a problem that you are deeply passionate about. Even if it's something that doesn't seem sexy or you feel like investors may not see it as a pain point. If you are as obsessed with solving this problem as you should be, you'll do the research and be able to tell the story that needs to be told to get an investor to buy into it. And I would say that most of being a founder is really good storytelling. It's one thing to understand a problem, to, to identify a problem, but you have to convince folks that it's a problem that's worth solving, that it's a problem that the market wants to be solved and are willing to pay for that problem to be solved. And then selling a long-term vision for what you foresee the company becoming even beyond the immediate thing that you're trying to raise capital for. In summary, I would say find a problem you're deeply passionate about and get really great at telling a compelling story about that problem and and the solution that you have for it. I love that. Have you had any mentors that have guided you through this entrepreneurial journey? I'm really grateful to be surrounded by some really great mentors. So Toyin Ajayi, who's a CEO of CityBlock Health, has been a great mentor to me. Dr. Ivor Horn, who's Director of Health Equity at Google. She's been an investor and also a personal advisor to Health and Review. And they give me candid feedback on why this may be receptive to some folks and why certain things may not be receptive or how to fine tune things. And they have deep expertise in the healthcare space and relationships. So they've been very generous with their experience, their expertise, as well as their network, which has been incredibly valuable to me as a first time founder. What have you learned about building a company and a team? And are there qualities you look for when you hire someone and build out the other people that are part of Health Interview? Yes, I would say the biggest thing that I've learned to date about building a team is your team is your company. (laughs) If you don't have a solid team, your company is not going anywhere. So making sure that my team is good, that they have everything that they need to be successful is my number one priority. Being successful also means that they're well, that they're healthy. So I'm constantly thinking about how to make sure my team feels psychologically safe, feels physically safe, and that they're equipped to do this work that we're all deeply passionate about. One of the specific qualities that we look for when we're interviewing folks for roles at Health Center Q is one, how much they understand these issues around disparities and their passion for what we're building. That's really important. Knowing the mission of our company is something that deeply resonates with them and they want to be a part of, of that. That is something that I pay attention to, but then also just to be pragmatic and really matter of fact that they have the actual experience to do the specific role that they're applying for. But prior to that, we're really looking for people who are deeply passionate about this mission of reducing racial health disparity. Can you talk a little bit of maybe some challenges you faced in building your company? One of the challenges was I always knew that I wanted Health Interview to be this digital health platform, but I don't know how to code. I'm not an engineer. And I was like, okay, where do I start? Because I have this big vision but I don't have all of the skill sets to execute on it myself. And I also don't have the money to pay someone to do it. So I was able to leverage a no-code platform with a software engineer who reached out and wanted to be a part. And I was like, I can't pay you to code anything, so don't code anything, but I will pay for the subscriptions for these no-code solutions and we can together build this very early MVP. So that was one of the obstacles, just not having capital, having to bootstrap to prove out that this idea that I have will gain traction and has potential. 
And I was able to overcome that obstacle by just being scrappy and using what I had access to, to prove out what I knew I needed to prove out to raise capital. Mm -hmm. Do you think you've always been scrappy? Have you always had this kind of personality or is it something you kind of grew into? I would say it's a little bit of both. If I'm determined to do something, I'm going to find a way to do it. That's always been innate within me, but I never imagined like building a product myself. I think that that innate desire to see something through mm -hmm. resulted in me becoming a scrappy founder to build a product. The other thing is there was a bit of learning, like working at that venture studio. I learned a lot. I read a lot about startups and different approaches to building, like the lean startup approach. And one of the things that always stood out to me, because I'm a recovering perfectionist, was that if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you waited too long to push it out. So reading stuff like that, that reminded me, you have to test your idea before you fully invest everything into it. That is definitely something that I've had to learn and unlearn perfectionism. Like I need this to be the most beautiful product before anyone lays eyes on it. That has been a learning curve for me as a startup founder, because you will fail if you try to hold everything and make it perfect and then release it out to the world. I can totally relate to that. <laughs> I'm recovering perfectionist <laughs> working on it. Can you discuss a little bit about your experience of being a black female entrepreneur and give any words of wisdom or inspiration for the next kind of generation of founders? Doing anything professionally as a black woman, there's an additional tax that we end up paying. One, I've already known that professionally and I've already experienced that just in my regular nine to five life prior to becoming a founder. And so I came into this work knowing that I was probably going to experience some bias, but I don't think about those things too much. Um, I try not to approach this work with a defeatist mindset because this journey is hard enough. So lamenting over it's hard to be a Black woman founder does me no good. I'm very aware of the struggle and like it's not going to be easy, but I don't let that consume too much of my time. I focus my time and my energy on this mission real, means a lot. And this company has to exist because it's solving an actual problem. So if I had any advice to impart to up and coming Black women founders, it's that no, it's not easy, but if you care deeply about a problem and you have a brilliant idea, don't allow the potential hardship to stop you from pursuing it. Because while this journey has been hard for me, there have been doors and opportunities that have come that I would never have imagined happening if I didn't put one foot forward and happen to be in the right place at the right time. So if you acquiesce to the struggle, you will then shortchange yourself from the possibility of your idea and your business actually coming to fruition. I would also say find a strong community of other founders of color who you can commiserate with, find safe spaces, folks to have those safe spaces to just kind of get you back on track. And there are PCs and investors who are looking for great ideas, irrespective of who's the person building it. And so I just would say lean into the positive energy and not allow the negativity to consume too much of your business idea and what you're trying to set out to do. How does Health Under Q fit into the competitive landscape? Whenever I have a question from investors, I would say there is this emerging market of companies that are focused on cultural competency, serving Black, Indigenous people of color. And then there's the women's health or femtech market. And Health and Earth, is square in the middle of those two segments of the market. So we are completely focused on cultural sensitivity, cultural competency. I know that that can be a contentious word at times. And we're completely focused on women. So we are square in the middle of that intersection of the market. 
Mm-hmm. And what do you predict for the future of health in our hue and how do you foresee it changing the healthcare landscape? I see us continuing to build our platform, build out our product in different services and features. As we continue to grow Health and Her Hue as a brand and company, as the trusted base for women of color when it comes to healthcare, and we want to be a one-stop shop for women of color when it comes to their health and healthcare. And I see Health and Her Hue changing the healthcare landscape by being a model of what actual health equity looks like when it's operationalized in digital health. So there are many companies that talk about health equity, that talk about the importance of it, but the way that they're approaching building their technology is not equitable. And so health and huge. we're not going to be the panacea. We can't solve all the problems, but I want the way that we're approaching building the company to be an example to the larger healthcare ecosystem around how they should be approaching building technology so that it's as accessible to different types of patient population. And I also want us to be a proof point that you can build a company that's for a specific patient population and it's still be a really scalable business because it's an overlooked area in the market and overlooked patient population. Well, I want to thank you so much for speaking with us. I'm going to conclude with some rapid fire questions. I would love to know your favorite book or any books that you've read that have helped you build out health and review. Oh, the book that I read, I bought it for my entire team. It's called Design Justice. And it's a really interesting book that talks about the way that we should be approaching building technology to make it as accessible and equitable to as many people as possible. So that's a book that I've read to hold me accountable as I'm building health and Q and not just being another company that's talking about health equity, but not actually applying it. And do you have any other mentors or female founders that you look up to? Let's see. I look up to Toyin. Seeing what she's been able to build with City Block has been really phenomenal and inspiring to me to see another Black woman at the helm of a unicorn healthcare company. I also admire Kate Ryder, who built Maven Clinic. And then another founder who I admire is Simone Tate. Our companies are kind of around the same stage, but see how thoughtful she is about building her company, how brilliant she is about fundraising and how generous she has been with sharing her network, connecting me to investors. She's another founder that I also admire. And do you have a final message for our listeners who aspire to build a company innovating in the public health or healthcare landscape? The last piece of advice that I would share is to really find a pain point that you either personally experience or someone close to you has experienced and solve that problem. Because I think those who are closest to a problem are better positioned to create a solution for it. And once you find a problem that you are deeply passionate about and have been impacted by, you'll be motivated to see your company through to the ends because it's a long and hard journey. But when it's a problem that you know that you need to see solved, you'll stick it through. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been so inspiring to hear you talk and I've really appreciated learning everything about you and Health and Hue. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. Visit us on Instagram at Thea Healthcare, on Twitter at TheaHC, and on our website at TheaHC.org for more content and to join our vibrant community of young professionals, entrepreneurs, investors, and thought leaders in healthcare. Special thanks to our amazing producer, Sarah Wetzler, and audio editors, Asim Jain, Nikita Gupta, and Taylor Liss. If you're enjoying our content, 
please consider supporting Thea by visiting our website, theahc.org, to donate.